a sermon series featuring, featuring the perplexing sayings of Jesus that represent things that make you go, hmm, that could easily become just a dry lecture series. But of course, we're looking at the words of Jesus in Matthew's Gospel, so there's nothing dry about Jesus or his words. The fear for the preacher is that he might make them so, and we'll be working, I'll be working hard that I don't through this series. We will get to Jesus' words about keys and binding and loosing, but the main point I want you to gain from this section of Matthew's Gospel is really clear. It's, verse 18, it's from verse 18 of that reading. I will build my church. My aim today is to encourage you that Christ is building his church. Christ is building his church even though many churches can't run their usual services due to COVID-19 social distancing laws. Christ is building his church even though many small groups have to resort to Zoom-based meetings over the last months. Christ is building his church even though nursing home services are being cancelled as nursing homes return again to lockdown. Christ is building his church even though school holiday kids clubs and camps had to recently be cancelled by churches. Christ is building his church even though you can't see it. And my aim is to encourage you that as Christ is building his church, that together we would commit ourselves to playing our part in the great building enterprise. If you're taking notes and like an outline, here it is. Jesus is the Christ of the church. Christ is building his church through Peter. Christ is building his church through dying. And finally, Christ is building his church through our sacrifice. So Jesus is the Christ of the church. It's easy to make assumptions about someone, about who they are, based on your idea about what they look like or act like or be like. So take Jack Reacher, a fictional person, but I know what Jack Reacher looks like. I know how he thinks. I can anticipate how he'll react in most situations because I have a large stack, two large stacks of Jack Reacher books, the uh, the books written by Lee Child uh, that he stars in. And the other thing I know is that he doesn't look like the actor Tom Cruise. For one thing, Reacher is six foot five and Tom Cruise is not a very tall man. Still, the two Reacher movies starring Cruise were entertaining once you got over the incorrect casting decision. I hear that Lee Child has taken back the rights to the movies and has said that Tom Cruise won't be, if there's a third movie, he won't be Jack Reacher because it doesn't fit. In Jesus' day, people were always making assumptions about what the long-awaited Messiah or Christ would look like. Now, quick footnote here, just for our Bibles. The original Greek of Matthew has the title in Greek, Christos. And generally, that's what the English translations have. They get that word and they make it Christ. But for some reason, in more recent times, the publishers have started putting an English version of the Hebrew word Messiah in some Bibles, including the NIV 2011, which is the ones we use here at church. So some Bibles have Christ and some have Messiah, but Christ and Messiah mean the same thing. They mean God's forever king promised in the Old Testament. I'm going to say Christ in this talk today. The assumptions of the people of Jesus' day were based on the Old Testament promises of the Christ. 
So they were expecting a strong leader. They'd assumed he'd have a military background because he was going to deal with the enemies of the people and bring in a just rule. They weren't expecting an itinerant holy man from an obscure background backed by a handful of fishermen and tax collectors. So no wonder when Jesus asked his disciples in chapter 16 of Matthew, verse 13, who do, you say that, who do the people say the Son of Man is? No wonder he gets such disappointing answers. Verse 14, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Now, John the Baptist has recently been executed by King Herod. So why do some people think that Jesus is John the Baptist reincarnate? And I guess they weren't even there when John actually had baptised Jesus to think that. And other people think Elijah. Well, I guess that's because the second last verse of the Old Testament in Malachi chapter 4 predicted that an Elijah would come to prepare the way for the coming of the Christ. And so I'm guess, I guess they're thinking that Jesus, because he can do these wholly impressive things, is that advance army. I guess that makes sense that some people could think that. But you know, just in our next chapter in Matthew, if you were to turn in your Bibles into chapter 17 at verse 10, and I'm going to bring it up on the screen, I hope, uh, Jesus actually makes it clear that in fact, that's it, yep, Jesus makes it clear that uh, in fact John the Baptist and the Elijah figure are the same people. So verse 10 of chapter 17, the disciples said, why do the teachers of the law say Elijah must come first? And Jesus replied, to be sure, Elijah comes and will restore all things. But I tell you, Elijah has already come and they did not recognise him, but have done to him everything they wished. In the same way, the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. And then the disciples understood he was talking to them about John the Baptist. John the Baptist, Elijah, or one of the other prophets, none of that really does justice to the one who's been performing miracles with the power of God, like calming storms, feeding 5,000, and restoring sight, hearing, and mobility. And so verse 15, what about you? Who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answers, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jackpot, the fruit have all lined up in Peter's field of vision. On the evidence of Jesus' teaching, his way of life and miracles, Peter has drawn the right conclusion. But he needed the help of God to get there, as we note in verse 17. Peter has been blessed with this life-changing spiritual insight into the identity of of Jesus. Jesus is the Christ. He is God's special king, the son of David, who in the Old Testament was promised that a descendant of his would be like a son of God and rule forever. And Jesus is very happy for that confession to be made. And the thing about Christ, the Christ in the Bible, is that he is never alone. He always has a group of people to rule, to care for, and to be served by. So that leads us to our second point, that Christ is building his church through Peter. Now, my brother used to have an important-sounding title. He worked for a firm that produced amazing kitchen shelving systems and drawer systems, 
and other equipment that kitchen manufacturers would incorporate in their design. He was in the sales area. The firm was successfully based in Queensland, but they wanted to expand into New South Wales, so they recruited Scott and he was the New South Wales State Director. Impressive title for a one-man show working out of the front bedroom of of an inner western Sydney terrace house. He didn't have any other staff to particularly direct, yet he was the man on the ground building the business, and that was important. Peter is appointed to build Christ's business here at verse 18. I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. The reason I say Peter is appointed to build Christ's business is because Jesus plays around with words here. The name Peter means rock, and so Jesus emphasises Peter's role. You are rock, and on this rock I will build my church. Sometimes people say that the rock Jesus is talking about is Peter's confession that Jesus is the Christ, or even Jesus himself. But it's hard to go past the play on the words, you are rock, and on this rock, and to think that Jesus is saying anything else than, I will build my church on you, Peter. Now, I wonder whether Peter felt thrilled by the promotion or overwhelmed by the responsibility. How would you react if God's king announced that you were going to have a foundational role in the building of his worldwide church? Because that is what the Old Testament predicts that Christ will have, that people from all nations will be drawn to live under his rule. I think that would have been even worse than when the Premier or the Prime Minister called in one of their ministers or senior staff to tell them they were appointing them to head up the COVID-19 task force. But Peter need not have balked at the responsibility because who was ultimately doing the building? Christ himself. Verse 18, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Christ will build his church. Jesus is promising that he'll be instrumental in building his worldwide people and that they will last for eternity. Hades, death, will not overcome Christ's church. And if death will not overcome Christ's church, then COVID-19 won't either. COVID-19 won't mean the death of Christ's church. It'll be impacted, but it will go on because our future is eternal. Unlike the building supply company, Christchurch isn't just here for the now and maybe 20 years in the future. The people of Christ, his people, are being gathered to be with him in eternity. And if any die before Christ returns and finally brings in the kingdom fully, then they'll join in the resurrection and be with Christ forever. That means that if any of Christ's church die due to the virus... All is not lost. In Christ, his people have a certain hope of the resurrection to eternal life. And they'll continue to be one of his people in eternity. Now, I know you might feel fearful and dismayed by reports of the worsening scene in Melbourne and the incidents popping up around Sydney. It's very concerning, but don't despair. If you are one of Christ's people, if you're someone who, like Peter, 
can say with confidence, you are the Christ, you are my Christ, my King, then you are safe for eternity. I'm not saying that Christians don't get the virus. I'm not saying that Christians won't die of the virus. All that is in the loving, wise hands of our Heavenly Father, as we remembered in our opening song, God is our strength and refuge. What I am saying that is, if we do have the virus, if we do contract the virus, then we have an eternal hope in Christ because the gates of Hades will not overcome any member of Christ's church. It's a, a, a wonderful truth to hold on to. But let's go back to the first century in Caesarea Philippi, that scene with Jesus and Peter and the other disciples. Jesus has just vowed to build his church on the foundational rock Peter, but how? What, what will he give to help Peter do the building? And that leads us to our hmm verse for this week. Verse 19, I will give you the keys of the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. What are the keys to the kingdom of heaven? And what does it mean to bind and loose? And what has this got to do with building the church? I think when we understand the keys, we can easily answer the other question. And in trying to work out the keys, I've been helped by a couple of other passages. And the first one I want to show you on the screen is... Uh, from chapter 11 of Luke. Woe to you experts in the law, because you have taken away the key to knowledge. You yourselves have not entered, and you have hindered those who are entering. So Jesus is condemning, condemning the Jewish leadership for their bad teaching, for taking away the key to knowledge. And you can tell by his talk of entering that he's talking about God's kingdom. I've been helped with that by looking at a second passage from Matthew, back in Matthew, but this time chapter 23. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter nor will you let those enter who are trying to. You notice there's talk of the kingdom of heaven and, and a door and people and the Pharisees not entering and not allowing others to enter. So I put those two passages together and notice there's similar language about entering and the kingdom of heaven. And it seems that the key to knowledge is the same as the keys to the kingdom of heaven. What is it then? It's something to do with entering the kingdom of heaven. It's a key to how you become a member of the kingdom of heaven. To put it another way, how you enter or become a member of Christ's church. And somehow the Jewish leaders stopped people doing that, entering the kingdom, entering Christ's church. What did they do? Think about what you know of the Jewish leaders. What did they consistently do? Why does Jesus say they don't enter? And and what did they attempt to stop others doing? What's the key that they consistently rejected? You know, don't you? What is it? You know, it's Jesus himself, isn't it? They consistently refuse to recognise that Jesus is the Christ. They reject him and they discourage other people from accepting him. I want to show you a great example of that. And this time it's from Matthew 12. So still in Matthew, 
It's another way of... Uh, and just remember as we look at it, that son of David is another way of saying the Christ. They brought him, Jesus, a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. All the people were astonished and said, could this be the son of David? In other words, the Christ. But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, it's only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. Before their very eyes, Jesus has shown the power of God over demons, yet the best way to discredit a powerful person is to say the source of their power is dirty. So he gets his power, they say, from the devil. They won't accept Jesus. They'll do everything, even make themselves blind to the obvious to reject Jesus. The key Peter is being given by Jesus arises from the proclamation of Jesus that he's going to be able to make. Now, he's already proclaimed that Jesus is the Christ here, but after Jesus dies and rises and Peter grows in his understanding, then we see in the book of Acts, Peter proclaiming Jesus and opening the kingdom of heaven to many people. You remember it's Peter who gives the first public sermon in Acts chapter 2 and we're told that about 3,000 were added to their number that day. And remember also uh, in our reading today you you saw them uh, proclaiming Jesus again to the leadership and again the leadership willfully blind and rejecting the obvious in front of them. Now if the keys of the kingdom are the proclamation of the king of the kingdom so as to open the way for people to enter, what then is binding and loosing? Binding and loosing represents the opening and closing of the door of the kingdom. As people respond to the message, they either accept Jesus as the Christ and enter his kingdom, and so they're bound to Jesus, or they reject Jesus and are loosed or set outside the kingdom. Of course, Peter was not alone in using the keys to the kingdom. In the final words of Matthew's gospel, Matthew 28, which will come up on the screen, Jesus commands all of his disciples to use the keys. Have a look at Matthew 28 from 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptising them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. It's on the foundational preaching and teaching of Peter and his fellow apostles that the Christian church begins and is first built. Peter is like the first among equals in this task But it's always been recognised that in that passage there, there's a word in that passage for you at the very end uh, of that passage. He's speaking to subsequent generations of Christians when he promises to be with you to the end of the age. He's assuming this work of the making of disciples from all nations is going to go on to the end of the age. So the people with the keys, in fact, includes us here in Freshwater. 
And we do, don't we? We have the keys of the kingdom. We have a message about Jesus to proclaim and share. Let's have a look on the screen at our church vision again. Here it comes. Sharing the gospel to all freshwater, helping people to encounter, believe and grow in Jesus. As we share the gospel, the message that Jesus is the King and the Saviour, as we share the message about Jesus in our SRE classes, in Kids Church, in Dynamites, in Lights, in the Third Friday, in Sunday services, in your private conversations, Christ is building his church. Some of that building is by growing in maturity people who are Christians and some of that building is in people coming to acknowledge and trust in Jesus for the first time. Now, some of the things we'd like to do so that people could encounter and believe in Jesus haven't been able to go ahead this year. I'm particularly thinking of things like chasm on the Pupil Free Day. And just this week, I arranged with the guest speaker to postpone the next Raising Kids event till November, hoping that it'll be more easy to meet physically for outsiders then. But Christ is still building his church, which you'd know if you were a fly on the Zoom wall in our discussions about Jesus in our Christianity Explored group, which will finish its seventh and final session tomorrow night. Christ is building his church here in Freshwater and you all have a role in it. And you'll know if you're throwing yourself into that role and and sharing with others in that role or if you're just coasting along on everyone else's backs. Now, if you've been following along concerning Christ building his church, Peter being foundational and now that even you have the opportunity to use the keys of heaven by speaking of Christ. And verse 20 should be a big surprise. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone else that he was the Christ. A suppression order from the king. How can Peter use the keys? Answer, he can't. He's supposed to obey the king. He can't yet. Anyway, it's not time just yet for the Christ to be proclaimed because at this point he hasn't completed the preparations for building his church. He hasn't quite done all he needs to do at the beginning of being the Christ. And he can't afford a big popular movement over him being the Christ, getting in the way of what the Christ is actually supposed to do. But after he's risen, as we just saw back before there in Matthew 28, the shackles are off. What did he say? He said to them to go and proclaim him to all nations and people groups, making disciples of all nations. Go and use the keys. But first, and this is my third point, Christ is building his church through dying. Sometimes during a sporting game, a team loses a player through serious injury and then because the other players have to cover their absence, some players have to play out of position and and it's harder harder for them. I remember vaguely the day down at Abbott Road, North Kirka, when I had to play in goals for half a game. We'd lost our regular goal kicker. You're already laughing. How do you know where I'm going with this? 
we lost our regular goalkeeper somehow. It wasn't a very enjoyable afternoon for me or the football team after that. In fact, I vaguely remember that I didn't even get to finish the half, that it was so bad that one of my teammates decided to replace me in goals during the game. Losing a player really weakens a team. So you can have sympathy for Peter when he's astounded by Jesus sharing that he's going to die. Verse 21 of chapter 16. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. How can the Christ, who's just said he will build his church and who the Old Testament said would rule an eternal kingdom of justice and prosperity, how can he die? The depth of Peter's conviction that Jesus is the Christ is the very thing that makes Jesus' talk of suffering and death so unthinkable for Peter. The idea of a powerful Christ does not allow for a suffering servant Christ. Therefore, Peter dares to rebuke Jesus. He's actually pretty arrogant, really. He's just confessed that Jesus is the Christ, and then he speaks as if he knows more of God's will than the Christ himself. And so, of course, Jesus puts him in his place, verse 23. Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Get behind me, Israeli. Get out of my way. The one who moments ago was a rock is now another kind of rock, a stumbling block rock. Peter, like Satan at Jesus' temptation, is actually suggesting that Jesus can be the Christ King without suffering. And for Jesus to go along with that suggestion would be to go against the will of his Father God. Jesus doesn't stumble over Peter, though. He doesn't go away from his mission. By the end of Matthew's Gospel, we read how he goes with the plan all the way to the cross. To build his church, Christ had to die for the sins of every one of us. And as members of Christ's church... Aren't we glad that he did? For unless Jesus the Christ dies for the sins of his people, thus atoning for their sin and making them holy, unless he does that, then they can't enter his church or dwell with God in eternity, dwell with the holy God. Our sin had to be dealt with. Peter didn't understand that, but he will later. I want to give you an example from what he says to a crowd in Acts Chapter 3, coming up on the screen. Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he'd foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. The Christ had to suffer to be the Christ, to do the role to be able to gather a people to himself. How should we respond then to one who is Christ and saves us from our sins? We're going to look at that in verse 24 of Matthew as we see Christ is building his church finally through our sacrifice. 
In verse 24 of Matthew 16, Jesus explains the right response in a really striking way, and I reckon it's a way that helps us remember that we are to respond to Christ every day, not just the first time. Verse 24, Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me will find it. In Jesus' day, when someone was seen carrying a cross through the streets, accompanied by a a team of soldiers, everyone knew that life was over. They were being taken to, to be crucified. So there was no time or there was no value in planning the next holiday, home improvement, dinner party, investment, career change, video. When Jesus says that if anyone wants to belong to him, they must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow him, he's saying you need to treat your life as over. Death to self as against Christ's will. And then if you treat your life as over, then you're now living for Christ. Your life is to be about serving obediently the one who is the Christ. And what that's going to look like is obviously going to vary depending on your age, your abilities, your health, where you live, your opportunities. But one thing we'll all have in common is that we'll be trying to serve Christ with who we are and what we are and what we've got. This is a really good reminder, don't you think, of what a Christian is, Uh, that we're someone we've recognised who the Christ is and so we deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him and do that wherever we are, however we can. Christ is building his church. He's building a church of people who are serving him in the work of building his church. So whatever you do, don't lose the keys. Keep that proclamation, that truth about who he is in your own mind, in your own lives and be willing to help that message be getting out to other people. Let me pray. Father, thank you uh, for this passage. It's wonderful to to realise and be reminded again that Christ is building his church We thank you for that confidence. We thank you that uh, death cannot even stop the building of Christ church. We pray you help us as people who've benefited from Jesus building already as he died for us. We pray that you would uh, help us, Lord, to take our part in the building of Christ church. Help each one of us as individuals work out what it means, what it looks like to take up our cross, to deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him. Amen.